0: Section 1 of Part 2 of Religious Affections This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Matthew James Gray mjgray.id.au Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards section one of part two showing what are no certain signs that religious affections are gracious or that they are not if any one, on the reading of what has been just now said is ready to acquit himself and say i am not one of those who have no religious affections i am often greatly moved with the consideration of the great things of religion let him not content himself with this That he has religious affections for as we observed before as we ought not to reject and condemn all affections as though true religion did not at all consist in affection so on the other hand we ought not to approve of all as though every one that was religiously affected had true grace and was therein the subject of the saving influences of the spirit of god and that therefore the right way is to distinguish among religious affections between one sort and another therefore let us now endeavor to do this and in order to do it i would do two things one i would mention some things which are no signs one way or the other either that affections are such as true religion consists in or that they are otherwise that we may be guarded against judging of affections by false signs Two. I would observe some things wherein those affections which are spiritual and gracious differ from those which are not so, and may be distinguished and known. First, I would take notice of some things which are no signs that affections are gracious or that they are not. 1. It is no sign one way or the other that religious affections are very great or raised very high. Some are ready to condemn all high affections, If persons appear to have their religious affections raised to an extraordinary pitch, they are prejudiced against them, and determine that they are delusions, without further inquiry. But if it be, as has been proved, that true religion lies very much in religious affections, then it follows that, if there be a great deal of true religion, there will be great religious affections. If true religion in the hearts of men be raised to a great height, divine and holy affections will be raised to a great height love is an affection but will any christian say men ought not to love god and jesus christ in a high degree and will any say we ought not to have a very great hatred of sin and a very deep sorrow for it or that we ought not to exercise a high degree of gratitude to god for the mercies we receive of him and the great things he has done for the salvation of fallen men or that we should not have very great and strong desires after God and holiness? Is there any who will profess that his affections in religion are great enough, and will say, I have no cause to be humbled that I am no more affected with the things of religion than I am? I have no reason to be ashamed that I have no greater exercises of love to God and sorrow for sin, and gratitude for the mercies which I have received. Who is there that will... Bless God that he is affected enough with what he has read and heard of the wonderful love of God to worms and rebels in giving his only begotten son to die for them and of the dying love of Christ and will pray that he may not be affected with them in any higher degree because high affections are improper and very unlovely in Christians being enthusiastical and ruinous to true religion. Our text plainly speaks of great and high affections, when it speaks of repining with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Here the most superlative expressions are used, which language will afford. And the scriptures often require us to exercise very high affections. Thus, in the first and great commandment of the law, there is an accumulation of expressions, as though words were wanting to express the degree in which we ought to love god thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart with all thy soul with all thy mind and with all thy strength so the saints are called upon to exercise high degrees of joy rejoice says christ to his disciples and be exceeding glad matthew chapter five verse twelve so it is said psalm sixty eight verse three let the righteous be glad let them rejoice before god yea let them exceedingly rejoice so in the book of psalms the saints are often called upon to shout for joy and in luke chapter six verse twenty three to leap for joy so they are abundantly called upon to exercise high degrees of gratitude for mercies to Praise God with all their hearts, with hearts lifted up in the ways of the Lord and their souls magnifying the Lord, singing his praises, talking of his wondrous works, declaring his doings, etc. And we find the most eminent saints in scripture often professing high affections. Thus the psalmist speaks of his love as if it were unspeakable. Psalm 119 verse 97 Oh, how love I thy law! So expresses a great degree of hatred of sin. Psalm 139, verses 21 and 29. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am I not grieved with them that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. He also expresses a high degree of sorrow for sin. He speaks of his sins going over his head as a heavy burden that was too heavy for him and of his roaring all the day, and his moisture being turned into the drought of summer, and his bones being, as it were, broken with sorrow. So he often expresses great degrees of spiritual desires in a multitude of the strongest expressions which can be conceived of, such as his longing, his soul's thirsting as a dry and thirsty land where no water is, his panting, his flesh and heart crying out, His soul's breaking for the longing it hath, etc. He expresses the exercises of great and extreme grief for the sins of others. Psalm 119, verse 136 Rivers of water run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. And verse 53 Horror hath taken hold upon me, because of the wicked that forsake thy law. He expresses high exercises of joy. Psalm twenty one verse one, The king shall joy in thy strength and in thy salvation. How greatly shall he rejoice? Psalm seventy one verse twenty three, My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee. Psalm sixty three verses three, four, five, six, and seven, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. The Apostle Paul expresses high exercises of affection. Thus... He expresses the exercises of pity and concern for others' good, even to anguish of heart, a great, fervent, and abundant love, and earnest and longing desires, and exceeding joy, and speaks of the exaltation and triumphs of his soul, and his earnest expectation and hope, and his abundant tears, and the travails of his soul, in pity, grief, earnest desires, godly jealousy, and fervent zeal in many places that have been cited already and which therefore i need not repeat john the baptist expressed great joy john chapter three verse twenty nine those blessed women that anointed the body of jesus are represented as in a very high exercise of religious affection on occasion of christ's resurrection matthew chapter twenty eight verse eight and they departed from the sepulchre with fear and great joy it is often foretold of the church of god in her future happy seasons here on earth that they shall exceedingly rejoice psalm 89 verses 15 and 16 they shall walk o lord in the light of thy countenance in thy name shall they rejoice all the day and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, thy king cometh! etc. The same is represented in innumerable other places, and because high degrees of joy are the proper and genuine fruits of the gospel of Christ, therefore the angel calls this gospel good tidings of great joy that should be to all people. The saints and angels in heaven... That have religion in its highest perfection are exceedingly affected with what they behold and contemplate of God's perfections and works. They are all as a pure heavenly flame of fire in their love and in the greatness and strength of their joy and gratitude. Their praises are represented as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. Now the only reason why their affections are so much higher than the holy affections of saints on earth is they see the things they are affected by more according to their truth and have their affections more conformed to the nature of things. And therefore, if religious affections in men here below are but of the same nature and kind with theirs, the higher they are and the nearer they are to theirs in degree, the better, because therein, they will be so much the more conformed to truth as theirs are. From these things it certainly appears that religious affections being in a very high degree is no evidence that they are not such as have the nature of true religion. Therefore they do greatly err who condemn persons as enthusiasts merely because their affections are very high. And, on the other hand, It is no evidence that religious affections are of a spiritual and gracious nature because they are great. It is very manifest by the Holy Scripture, our sure and infallible rule to judge of things of this nature, that there are religious affections which are very high that are not spiritual and saving. The Apostle Paul speaks of affections in the Galatians. Which had been exceedingly elevated and which yet he manifestly speaks of as fearing that they were vain and had come to nothing. Galatians chapter four verse fifteen. Where is the blessedness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. And in the eleventh verse he tells them he was afraid of them lest he had bestowed upon them labor in vain so the children of israel were greatly affected with god's mercy to them when they had seen how wonderfully he wrought for them at the red sea where they sang god's praise though they soon forgot his works so they were greatly affected again at mount sinai when they saw the marvellous manifestations god made of himself there and seemed mightily engaged in their minds and with great forwardness made answer when god proposed his holy covenant to them saying all that the lord hath spoken will we do and be obedient but how soon was there an end to all this mighty forwardness and engagedness of affection how quickly were they turned aside after other gods rejoicing and shouting around their golden calf so great multitudes who were affected with the miracle of raising lazarus from the dead were elevated to a high degree and made a mighty ado when jesus presently after entered into jerusalem exceedingly magnifying Christ, as though the ground were not good enough for the ass he rode to tread upon, and therefore cut branches of palm trees and strewed them in the way, yea, he pulled off their garments and spread them in the way, and cried with loud voices, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, so as to make the whole city ring again, and put all into an uproar we learn by the evangelist john that the reason why the people made this ado was because they were affected with the miracle of raising lazarus john chapter twelve verse eighteen here was a vast multitude crying hosanna on this occasion so that it gave occasion to the pharisees to say behold the world has gone after him john chapter twelve verse nineteen but christ had at that time but few true disciples And how quickly was this ado at an end! All of this nature is quelled and dead when this Jesus stands bound with a mock robe and a crown of thorns to be derided, spit upon, scourged, condemned, and executed. Indeed, there was a great and loud outcry concerning him among the multitude then, as well as before, but of a very different kind. It is not then, Hosanna, Hosanna! but crucify, crucify. And it is the concurring voice of all orthodox divines that there may be religious affections which are raised to a very high degree and yet there be nothing of true religion. 2. It is no sign that affections have the nature of true religion or that they have not, that they have great effects on the body. All affections whatsoever have in some respect or degree an effect on the body. As was observed before, such is our nature, and such are the laws of union of soul and body, that the mind can have no lively or vigorous exercise without some effect upon the body. So subject is the body to the mind, and so much do its fluids, especially the animal spirits, attend the motions and exercises of the mind, that there cannot be so much as an intense thought without an effect upon them. Yea, it is questionable whether an embodied soul ever so much as thinks one thought, or has any exercise at all, but that there is some corresponding motion or alteration of motion in some degree of the fluids in some part of the body. But universal experience shows that the exercise of the affections have, in a special manner, a tendency to some sensible effect upon the body, And if this be so, that all affections have some effect upon the body, we may then well suppose the greater those affections be, and the more vigorous their exercise, other circumstances being equal, the greater will be the effect on the body. Hence it is not to be wondered at that very great and strong exercises of the affections should have great effects on the body. And therefore, seeing there are very great affections, both common and spiritual, hence It is not to be wondered at that great effects on the body should arise from both these kinds of affections, and consequently these effects are no signs that the affections they arise from are of one kind or the other. Great effects on the body certainly are no sure evidences that affections are spiritual. For we see that such effects oftentimes arise from great affections about temporal things and when religion is no way concerned in them. And if great affections about secular things that are purely natural may have these effects, I know not by what rule we should determine that high affections about religious things, which arise in like manner from nature, cannot have the like effect. Nor, on the other hand, do I know of any rule, any have to determine, that gracious and holy affections, when raised as high as any natural affections, and have equally strong and vigorous exercises, cannot have a great effect on the body. No such rule can be drawn from reason. I know of no reason why a being affected with a view of God's glory should not cause the body to faint, as well as being affected with a view of Solomon's glory. And no such rule has as yet been produced from the Scripture. None has ever been found in all the late controversies which have been about things of this nature. There is a great power in spiritual affections. We read of the power which worketh in Christians, and of the Spirit of God being in them as the Spirit of power, and of the effectual working of his power in them. But man's nature is weak. Flesh and blood are represented in Scripture as exceeding weak, And particularly with respect to its unfitness for great spiritual and heavenly operations and exercises. Matthew chapter twenty six verse forty one, one Corinthians chapter fifteen verse forty three and verse fifty. The text we are upon speaks of joy unspeakable and full of glory. And who that considers what man's nature is and what the nature of the affections is, can reasonably doubt but that such unutterable and glorious joys may be too great and mighty for weak dust and ashes so as to be considerably overbearing to it it is evident by the scripture that true divine discoveries or ideas of god's glory when given in a great degree have a tendency by affecting the mind to overbear the body because the scripture teaches us often that if these ideas or views should be given to such a degree as they are given in heaven, the weak frame of the body could not subsist under it, and that no man can, in that manner, see God and live. The knowledge which the saints have of God's beauty and glory in this world, and those holy affections that arise from it, are of the same nature and kind with what the saints are the subjects of in heaven, differing only in degree and circumstances what god gives them here is a foretaste of heavenly happiness and an earnest of their future inheritance and who shall limit god in his giving this earnest or say he shall give so much of the inheritance such a part of the future reward as an earnest of the whole and no more and seeing god has taught us in his word that the whole reward is such that it would at once destroy the body Is it not too bold a thing for us so to set bounds to the sovereign God as to say that in giving the earnest of this reward in this world, he shall never give so much of it as in the least to diminish the strength of the body, when God has nowhere thus limited himself? The psalmist, speaking of the vehement religious affections he had, speaks of an effect in his flesh or body, besides what was in his soul, expressly distinguishing one from the other once again. Psalm 84, verse 2 My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Here is a plain distinction between the heart and the flesh as being each affected. So, Psalm 63, verse 1 my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Here also is an evident designed distinction between the soul and the flesh. The prophet Habakkuk speaks of his body's being overborne by a sense of the majesty of God. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 16, When I heard my belly trembled my lips quivered at the voice rottenness enter into my bones and i trembled in myself so the psalmist speaks expressly of his flesh trembling psalm 119 verse 120 my flesh trembleth for fear of thee that such ideas of god's glory as are sometimes given in this world have a tendency to overbear the body is evident Because the scripture gives us an account that this has sometimes actually been the effect of those external manifestations God has made of himself to some of the saints which were made to that end. It is to give them an idea of God's majesty and glory. Such instances we have in the prophet Daniel and the apostle John. Daniel giving an account of an external representation of the glory of Christ says Daniel chapter 10 verse 8. And there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into corruption, and I retained no strength. And the Apostle John, giving an account of the manifestation made to him, says, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. It is in vain to say here these were only external manifestations or symbols of the glory of Christ which these saints beheld. For though it be true that They were outward representations of Christ's glory, which they beheld with their bodily eyes. Yet the end and use of these external symbols as representations was to give to these prophets an idea of the thing represented, and that was the true divine glory and majesty of Christ, which is his spiritual glory. They were made use of only as significations of this spiritual glory, and thus undoubtedly they received them, and improved them, and were affected by them. According to the end for which God intended these outward signs, they received by them a great and lively apprehension of the real glory and majesty of God's nature, which they were signs of, and thus were greatly affected, their souls swallowed up, and their bodies overborne. And I think they are very bold and daring, who will say God cannot or shall not give the like clear and affecting ideas and apprehensions of the same real glory and majesty of his nature to any of his saints without the intervention of any such external shadows of it. Before I leave this head, I would farther observe that it is plain the scripture often makes use of bodily effects to express the strength of holy and spiritual affections, such as trembling, groaning, being sick, crying out, panting and fainting now if it be supposed that these are only figurative expressions to represent the degree of affection yet i hope all will allow that they are fit and suitable figures to represent the high degree of those spiritual affections which the spirit of god makes use of them to represent which i do not see how they would be if those spiritual affections let them be in never too high a degree have no tendency to any such things, but that on the contrary they are the proper effects and sad tokens of false affections and the delusion of the devil. I cannot think God would commonly make use of things which are very alien from spiritual affections and are shrewd marks of the hand of Satan and smell strong of the bottomless pit as beautiful figures to represent the high degree of holy and heavenly affections end of section 1 of part 2 recording by matthew james gray m j gray .id .au